When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional sport water bottle, and that steamy bee treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. The Nuance Life has always been a place we share our bigger conversations about values and the messiness of life. One of our favorite parts of the show is sharing listener commemorations of those messy moments that often go uncelebrated or unrecognized. From cancer diagnosis to breakups. From potty trained toddlers to new jobs. We commemorate it all on The Nuance Life, and we'd love to hear those commemorations from you. So share your messy moments with us via email. So the most people vote for governor, the next most people vote for lieutenant governor. It gets a little bit less as you go down the ballot, which, America, makes no sense. You must care about You're your local races. You're going to get your booty all the way there. You might as well fill out the entire ballot. Well, Goodness and gracious. also the people at the lowest offices sometimes have the most impact on your lives. Anyway. This is Sarah. This is Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. Everyone, the Nuance Nation tour has 
taken off. We have done our stops in San Mateo and Thousand Oaks. We will be in Michigan, then in Louisville in September, and Washington, D.C. and Dallas. And guess what? Finally, at last, hallelujah, the tickets are on sale everywhere. Go grab them. Listen, we didn't even need to make an announcement. Those Dallas people are already on top of it. They sold tickets before I even told anybody tickets were for sale. Let me tell you how much I love Texans. And I called to book our space in Dallas. And the person I talked to had the most Texas voice. And I just thought, I love all of you people. It's going to be so much fun. Also, let us tell you about the spectacular women joining us in each of these locations. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you come see us in Michigan, you will see Representative Haley Stevens. She is a Michigan representative in Congress. She is also the president of the freshman class in Congress. And let me tell you what a job that seems like to me. Word. She's also, I should say, just my friend. So you're going to hear about our adventures in Hillary Land back in 2007. She's just a delightful human. And also, on a related note, has the best Michigan accent. She does have a spectacular Michigan accent. So good. Okay. And then in Louisville, Amy McGrath challenger to Mitch McConnell will be joining us. And so many people in California were like, I'm trying to arrange coming to your Louisville show too, just to see Amy McGrath. So get those tickets because they are going fast in Louisville. In Dallas, the one and only MJ Heger, who is challenging John Cornyn in the United States Senate, will be with us. MJ is a delight as well and so much fun. It's guaranteed to be wonderful. Washington, D.C., the one and only Susan Page, award-winning journalist at USA Today, will be with us. Washington bureau chief. We could not have a better lineup. I'm just saying. So true. So get your tickets. The link is in the show notes. Um, and especially Walk, Don't Run. To the Louisville tickets. I think we had like 20 left. I'm just going to be real with y'all. So we are so excited to see you guys in person. We stay afterwards. We take pics. We sign books. It's going to be a lot of fun. So get your tickets now to Nuance Nation. We're going to catch up on some news today. And as I was looking at our outline, I think the theme is priorities. So Mm -hmm. in the first half of the show, we're going to talk about the Trump administration's priorities as they relate to climate and human beings and civil rights. In the second section, we're going to talk about priorities as it relates to the 2020 campaign. So as many of you know, there was a tropical storm, Tropical Storm Dorian, and it was headed for Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico, which has not recovered yet from Hurricane Maria. Then it kind of swerved around Puerto Rico, and now it is Hurricane Dorian because It's good news that it didn't hit the island, but for the path of the storm, it means the storm is just growing and is not sort of, and nothing's blocking its path and absorbing its power. So now it's a hurricane and it's headed for Florida. And so in the midst of, you know, people we know and love worried about the storm's impact, as we have this conversation about what happened to Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria, as we see the president continue to brutally attack the island and its leadership, There was a story that came out that I thought, this has got to be a joke. In the face of climate collapse, in the face of another hurricane season and its impact, with fires growing around the globe, wildfires with the Amazon, we learn that the Department of Homeland Security is transferring money out of FEMA's disaster relief fund to support new ICE detention beds and facilities, and for the asylum court cases to to speed up the 
time asylum cases sit in court, which is good. I'm in support of that. But I just struggle so much seeing another hurricane season approaching, seeing what the past hurricane seasons have held for this country and thinking, let's take money out of the disaster relief fund. Not to mention it was a big congressional fight to get that money to begin with. Oh, man. That's what bothers me the most, that we had that big congressional fight, that Congress made a deliberate decision to put this money into FEMA. Mm -hmm. FEMA says that it will still have $447 million after this transfer in its base account and should be okay. I don't think that the country as a whole believes that FEMA did enough around Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. I certainly don't. I don't think Congress did. I think that's why you saw this fight. And so forgive me for being skeptical about $447 million being enough yeah. to get us through the rest of this budget cycle when we already see another tropical storm turning into a hurricane coming to an area still in recovery. This has been going on since July. DHS notified Congress in July that it would transfer $155 million. On Tuesday, it said it will actually move $271 million. DHS says this comes from recoveries of prior year funds, which don't tell that to the people in Puerto Rico. That's a very difficult fact. Or California. Exactly. And and Texas, I mean, Florida, we've had, there are lots of places that could use this money. And that absent significant new catastrophic events, everything should remain operational. I want to be careful as I acknowledge that careful is the least popular thing on earth to be right now. Because I think <laughs> many people are reporting this as money is being taken out of FEMA to build the wall. I went through the notice that was sent to Congress about this transfer of funds. And what I saw were much more specific allocations to beds, to transfer processes, to the Coast Guard. And I understand and totally agree with all of the criticism about how this administration operates at the border and specific criticisms of ICE and some of what happens with Customs and Border Patrol. I also want to be accurate about what's going on. I think this represents really screwed up priorities. I also want to be honest about what it represents. Well, I'm sure it's getting mixed up a little bit in the reporting that he was saying, break the law to build the wall, and I'll pardon you afterwards, which he says, first it was, it was a joke, and then it was, I didn't say it. Is it, what's more offensive to me, (laughs) using it to build the wall or using it for detention beds? It's tough, but I'm pretty sure it's detention beds. And I think what really bothers me about this is so often the narrative, and we talked about this during our conversation about the border crisis, so often the narrative is We need to take care of the people here. We need to take care of Americans before we worry about migrants or refugees or those seeking asylum. And what this is doing is the exact opposite. It is taking money meant for Americans to help them recover from natural disasters that are growing in intensity and frequency and using it to detain people at the border in truly oppressive, inhumane conditions. And so that, to me, is the ultimate hypocrisy. It's not just that they 
ignore, almost deny climate change. You know, the other reporting this week is that the EPA is proposing a rule that will eliminate requirements that oil and gas companies make sure they they have technology that reports methane leaks. Because if a methane leak goes on for a long time and nobody notices, that's really bad. Methane is a huge part of greenhouse emissions and are part of our climate collapse. And so it's not just that we're not going to try to slow climate change. We're going to actively roll back regulations that try to slow climate change. It's that we are also going to take money away and not prioritize dealing with the impact of that climate collapse, of the growing natural disasters. To me, that is just, it is willfully ignorant. It makes me so angry because I think that when we're talking about the deficit and we're talking about the financial, you know, it's not just climate collapse and then it makes it, it literally makes it dangerous in certain parts of the country to live and just to be. But the cost of this The cost of these natural disasters is just going to rise and rise and rise and rise. And I have very big concerns about the impact on the financial future of the United States because of the cost to FEMA of dealing with these natural disasters. And so just the the willful ignorance when anybody can look back over the last few years and see that they're growing, they're, they're growing in intensity, and their economic impact is huge. Now, is $270 million in the face of what the real cost of all these natural disasters is going to be that big? No. But like you said, it's just, it's prioritization. And it makes me so angry. And it is significant. If you're taking $271 million and you have 447 left, that's a reasonable percentage of the overall True. budget. We're in such a hard space right now because... We have all these sleights of hand from the administration where Mm -hmm. there's kind of this growing sense among Republicans that we need to acknowledge what climate change is. But also we want to think about the cost. And as we've talked about before, those are all short term costs. And there's this cozy relationship with industries that are polluters. And at the same time, we have such conflation of issues in the news cycle and such confusion about what's real. A number of people have sent us an article that appeared in Forbes saying that pretty much everything that's being reported about the Amazon is wrong. Now, I think that that was a kind of jazzy headline and a way to frame up that piece that made people excited. If you really read through it, it challenged a number of things that have been disseminated, especially on social media, old pictures, pictures of fires that are not actually in the Amazon. And it included some information that I think we don't want to be dismissive of. You know, what's going on in the Amazon right now is not related to climate change from the weight of the reporting that I've read. It's that people intentionally set forest fires. And there's an administration in Brazil now that isn't penalizing them as much as past administrations have for illegal deforestation. And yes, the Amazon produces all kinds of oxygen and absorbs all kinds of carbon dioxide. And the science is at best conflicting on what the net effect of that is, but we all know it's important. And yes, we have a huge number of fires right now. We've also had fires in the past. All those things can exist together without it being everybody's lying or pointing out any inconsistencies in the facts is climate denial, right? <laughs> like we're we're in this really binary phase. And I think 
it's hard to sit down and look at all the information about the diversion of funds that the Trump administration is doing, about the Amazon, about all these news stories. You know, we had all this confusion about the administration's changes to birthright citizenship. You have to sit down and like go through all of the facts to see what is real and what does it mean. With the Amazon, Yes, we've had forest fires in the past, and I think we appropriately now are making a bigger deal out of them for a couple of reasons. We have a better understanding of climate change. We have a greater sense of urgency about taking care of our planet. We also are starting to realize that having a Eurocentric worldview or a Western-centric worldview is not great, and that Brazil matters, and countries across the world that we've not paid enough attention to matter, and that we're all more connected. We're viewing these stories differently and reacting with greater urgency because we're in a different context. That doesn't mean we're hysterical or relying on fake news. We also don't need to fear the information that challenges pieces of those storylines. It's just a hard time that requires a lot of thought and skepticism and willingness to review layers of complex information. The other thing we wanted to talk about today is the Trump administration and LGBTQ issues. Beth, do you remember when we went to the Republican National Convention in 2016? Do you mean the Republican National Convention that told us that the Trump administration would be the greatest ally of LGBTQ people we've ever seen? That's the one. I do recall that. That is the one. Mm -hmm. And the guy from PayPal, who's real weird, I'm just to be honest, stood up and made this big speech about how Trump was going to be the best friend of LGBTQ people and he was going to protect all these rights. I mean, I have very vivid memories about this. Maybe I was hallucinating, but that does not seem to be the case. The Justice Department, through its Solicitor General, recently filed an amicus brief, several consolidated cases pending before the Supreme Court and argued that Title VII of the 1964 Civil Rights Acts, which bars discrimination based on sex, does not include sexual orientation as a subset of that classification, which does not seem to align with the party speeches we saw at that convention. There are two cases that this brief was filed in. And let's just, for those of you who have not been around the legal world a lot, an amicus brief means friend of the court. So in these cases, the United States is not a party. They did not have to say anything here. But they chose to say something because the Attorney General and the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission enforce Title VII. And Title VII applies to the federal government as an employer. So that's their interest in coming into these cases and saying, high court, here's our opinion. The two cases are Altitude Express versus Zarda and Bostock versus Clayton County, Georgia. In Altitude Express, an employee says he was fired because he was gay, and he says that violates Title VII. The district court in that case, the first court that heard it, dismissed that claim. But on appeal to the Second Circuit, the court reversed and said that sexual orientation is a subset of sex discrimination. In the second case out of Georgia, a child welfare services coordinator said that once the county learned he was gay, it falsely accused him of mismanaging public money as a pretense for firing him because he's gay. I mentioned those facts because in addition to arguing in this brief that sexual orientation is not part of Title VII, the government basically accepts the employer's reasons for firing these plaintiffs 
on their face. And it's kind of offensive, I think, the way it's worded in the briefs. We'll put a link so that you can read them yourself if you have that interest. But Government says sex doesn't mean sexual orientation. It didn't when Title VII was passed. It hasn't since then. That discriminating because of sexual orientation doesn't involve treating members of one sex less favorably than similarly situated members of the other. So they say it's not that he's gay. It's that you have to compare how they treat a gay man to how they treat a gay woman. And then here's where things get really interesting in the briefs. And you can really see where the government is coming from. The court has protected interracial relationships for a very long time and has said that if you're discriminating against people for being in an interracial relationship, that counts as as racial discrimination. And the government has to differentiate that associational discrimination from same-sex relationships here. And they say, here's why those two things are different. Because a difference in race, I'm quoting from the government brief here, this is not my statement, because a difference in race rarely makes two otherwise similarly situated individuals dissimilar. Nearly all race-based distinctions constitute unlawful race-based discrimination. By contrast, sex-based distinctions are not invariably invidious because they can reflect physiological differences between men and women, as the lawfulness of sex-specific bathrooms makes clear. An employer who discriminates against employees in same-sex relationships thus does not violate Title VII as long as it treats men in same-sex relationships in the same way as women in same-sex relationships. And so I feel like that couple of sentences illustrates that what the government wants is for the court to interpret Title VII through a really traditional view of relationships, gender, sex, Uh marriage. And I think that's important to understand. And the final point of the government is that Congress has basically ratified the understanding that Title VII doesn't include sexual orientation because every Congress since 1975 has considered bills to explicitly add sexual orientation to Title VII and rejected those bills. And Congress overhauled Title VII in 1991 and did not at that time add sexual orientation. And so they're saying Congress doesn't want this or they would have just put it in explicitly. Seems like they don't really care what Congress wants when it comes to disaster funding, but I'm glad they're concerned now. You know, I was telling someone yesterday, I was recounting the journey that my own hometown has taken with regards to a fairness ordinance and adding sexual orientation to our human rights ordinance. And I was saying the reality is that this issue is a hot mess in the United States right now because our federal government extended marriage equality, but has not extended discrimination protections to the classification of sexual orientation. It's just an amalgam. And literally, depending on where you stand in this country, your civil rights based on your sexual orientation could be dramatically different. Something we've tried to avoid when it comes to civil rights in this country. And I'm not hopeful that this United States Supreme Court as currently stands will see that this is an illegal mess because that's what it is. It's a legal mess because we have so, because we need the federal government at this point, when, especially when it comes to civil rights, to stand up and say this protection should be extended to sexual orientation. 
period. So we have some consistency because right now we don't. And that leaves local governments like mine in really tough situations where we're trying to depend on the state government to process civil rights violations through its state human rights organization, which is much better equipped and funded and resourced than ours. But we're left in this in-between because our state will process race-based discrimination, but our state of Kentucky will not process sexual orientation. There's no protection coming from the state of Kentucky based on that. And so it's just, it's a mess. And the fact that the administration would try to perpetuate this traditional framework when it has left the legal protections for the LGBTQ community in such a patchwork mess is frustrating. I submitted testimony in Ohio in support of state-level protections on these issues because I was thinking about how you really shouldn't drive into one county to work and have different protections where you work versus where you live in terms of just your identity and who you are and what you can be fired for and what you can be rejected from housing for. So I agree with you. I want to make sure that we mention that the government is taking the same stance about transgendered individuals as it relates to Title VII. The administration also filed in the Supreme Court a brief saying that Title VII doesn't protect transgender workers in R.G. and G.R. Harris funeral homes versus EEOC. A funeral director was fired when she told the owners of the funeral home that she would be transitioning from male to female. And the Sixth Circuit um, said that the funeral home had violated Title VII because of that. The Trump administration, which was appropriately a party here, this wasn't just kind of weighing in as a friend of the court, argues that sex under Title VII means biological sex and does not apply to transgender individuals. So the administration is clearly making it a priority to ensure that these protections are not extended beyond really traditional meanings of sex. And I think it's worth talking about whether Congress has done enough here. And I think Congress clearly has not. And so in addition to whatever the court decides I think Congress would be well advised to look at all these cases and say, hey, we've abdicated our duty and we've had lots of chances to get this right and we've not done it yet. Let's do it. And the House of Representatives is, of course, on top of taking that up, but it really needs to get done in the Senate and just signed into law so that we don't have people trying to litigate their way to a better Title VII. I need to make an apology before we move on to our second segment. I did some research on an airplane, which is just a bad idea. And I said on Tuesday's show that Bill de Blasio reacted so well, I thought, to the high number of suicides in the Air Force in 2019. And I made a mistake in saying that 78 suicides had taken place at one base in South Carolina. Actually, only three took place. That's way too many. I shouldn't say only three. But three of those were in South Carolina, and the number is 78 total for the year. So I just want to correct that. Thank you to the listeners who pointed that out to me, and I apologize for the error. We will be right back after this short message from our sponsor. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional support water bottle, and that steamy bee treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. 
to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year is going by so quickly, and I had a little bit of a moment of panic about it this week. I thought to myself, I'm losing track of time. It's going so fast. It's going to be December before I know it. My kids are growing up, and I just kind of was spinning out. And I stopped, and I closed my eyes, and I pictured my last therapist, who I haven't seen since the end of 2020. But I remember the way he talked to me through these issues, and I sort of channeled his energy I put my feet on the ground and thought, this is just how time feels now. And there's nothing wrong with that or right about it. It just is. But those skills that I learned in therapy are so important to helping me take a second to celebrate what's going right and decide what I want to adjust for the rest of the year. If you're thinking of starting therapy, which I cannot recommend enough, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Pantsuit. The second most stressful thing after planning a trip is packing for it. This is true. This is a true story. I have just told you the clothes I have don't fit. They don't go together the way I want them to or I'm missing some essential piece. And then I discovered Quince. It's my go-to for high-quality vacation essentials. Like this premium European linen dress that's going to get us all through the heat wherever we're traveling. Blouses and shorts from $30. Washable silk tops. Premium luggage options and so much more. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than their similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to all of us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I got big plans for my Quince chiffon pleated skirt in Japan. They like a loose, flowy look over there to battle the heat. I will be adopting that strategy with that skirt. Pack your bags with high quality essentials from Quince. Go to quince.com slash pantsuit for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash pantsuit to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash pantsuit. The next debate is coming. The deadline to be a part of that next Democratic debate has passed. And only 10 have remained standing. Okay, so my first thing is, I feel like 20 to 10 is pretty dramatic. I feel like maybe they raised it a little too high. I don't think we should have necessarily cut the field in half. I agree with you. That is a dramatic cut. This is happening on September 12th. And it's almost like we're going to enter a new universe going from Mm -hmm. 20 to 10, especially because we have some people who have decided this is a moment to exit. And we'll talk about that in a second. We also have folks who are still in this and very upset with the requirements and the way those requirements have been enforced. 
And I think we're going to be thinking about and seeing pieces written about how the DNC has handled this field for a long time. This is definitely a learning year. And that sucks for so many really talented people who are in this contest. I also don't understand. So I think the requirements were too strong if we're going from 20 to 10. It just feels like we were kind of chugging along. I mean, Iowa is still pretty far away, guys. And, you know, sort of seeing, okay, how's it playing out and 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 dropping off a couple at a time. And now all of a sudden we're down by half. That seems like you went too far. Also, my other big thing is why the heck if we've cut it by half, are you still insisting on putting all 10 in one night? That's the problem. It's too many people speaking. Okay, if we've got it down by 10, that sucks. But at least split them up across two nights so people have a chance to actually speak. This really bothers me. What I think is really unfortunate about the way this is being reported right now is that everyone wants to see Biden, Warren, and Sanders on the same page, which just reinforces the idea that those are forever and always the three front runners. And this early, we should still be having a dialogue and a get to know you period for the rest of the field that just hasn't gotten to happen because there are too many voices at once. So a five and five, I think would have been a spectacular way to make some real progress in winnowing this field. Yeah. So we do have, here's the 10. Here's the 10 that we're going to have. Biden, Booker, Buttigieg, Castro, Harris, Klobuchar, O'Rourke, Sanders, Warren, and Yang. Now, I will say, when I look at this lineup and I see all their pictures next to each other, I'm really still very proud to be a Democrat. I love the makeup of this field. I think it is diverse in every way that matters, and I, I really am proud, and I'm excited to see all of those people together. I just wish it was over two nights. Four candidates met the donor threshold that was set, but not the polling threshold. This is an interesting group. Tulsi Gabbard, Tom Steyer, Marianne Williamson, and Jay Inslee, who has suspended his campaign. Tom Steyer had three of the required four polls, which let's talk about that. Let's talk about how much money he's spending to get his name recognition in three or four polls. To get there so fast. He's been uh-huh. in, you know, not very long at all. Tulsi Gabbard had two of those polls that she needed and Marianne Williamson had one. And so that's a group that you see, especially in fundraising emails right now, saying, don't give up, everybody. We could still qualify for the fourth debate. We just need more money and more time to get to those polling thresholds. So sadly... And I am very sad about this. Kirsten Gillibrand is ending her campaign because she did not meet the requirements of the debate. And she sees not qualifying for this debate as disqualifying for the race overall. So she ended her campaign. I'm really sad about this. I kind (sighs) of. She made women's rights and reproductive rights and female leadership a real focus of her campaign. And I really hope it doesn't become the same narrative that surrounded Jay Inslee, which is, I guess people just don't care about it. That's why her candidacy didn't do well, because I think that is really not true and and not reflective of the myriad of sort of inputs people take in when they're deciding who to support. I also still think that polling at this point is so not reflective 
of where people are. Because it's such a big field, asking someone to pick in a poll is, it's just not where people are at. I don't know anybody who is ride or die one person. I know people who will say, this person really speaks to me, but I like this person, this person, this person, this person. So people's You know, people are just not to that point in the process. And I guess that's my beef with like how they're picking for the debate is it's insisting that that the Democratic Party members be at a place in the process that I just don't think many people are yet. And I I hate to see her leave at this point, not because, you know, let's be honest, I had donated to her campaign, but it's not. Like I'm out there volunteering for her or doing a lot of work because it's just it doesn't seem like that's where we are yet. And so it's like there's only one way to get ahead in a poll. There's only one way to to get donors, which is just massive amounts of advertising, because even this the the other way, some people were sort of surging like Buttigieg, the town halls. They're just not doing those as much. You can't even like sort of find that viral moment anymore. It's all going to sort of congregate around the, de- the Democratic debates, which is why I guess she looked at what, you know, the future and said, if I can't get on that stage to create a moment for myself, what am I going to do? You know, every time they say Biden is still leading in the polls, it just makes me so mad because it's just such a small number because there's so many people left in the field and there's so many people that have not made up their minds. And I just feel like the sort of the media narrative, the requirements for this debate are pushing people to a place in the process that they simply aren't at yet. I think it's also a reflection of how we pay attention to what legislators do. I was thinking about the senators in this race. And Sanders is kind of in his own category because he's building off of his 2016 run more than anything he's ever done in the Senate. Warren, I think, has been pretty well known for her legislative work and has just mobilized such a team to get her name ID up in this process that I think she's also a little bit in her own category. Booker, Harris, and Klobuchar are on the national stage because they are on important committees that have had blockbuster hearings. Mm -hmm. Senator Gillibrand is a true legislator. She has been on compensation for 9-11 first responders since way before Jon Stewart had his breakout moment testifying recently. Jon Stewart has been in that with her for a long time. I actually first came to know her because she was on The Daily Show talking about this issue years ago. She has worked relentlessly for ending sexual assault in the military. Mm -hmm. But a lot of her work has been legislative work that just doesn't make the cable news reels the way those hearings do. And I think that's something important for us to step back and consider. I think the other thing working against her is that where she had name ID outside of legislation, it was all wrapped up in Al Franken. And there's just not a more controversial way to be out there, especially when there's such discord, even among Democrats, about how that all unfolded. I thought her conversation on The Daily with Michael Barbaro was spectacular about this. We'll link to a little Twitter thread I did on that because she was so strong in saying, look, my responsibility was to make a statement on how I felt about this. His responsibility was to decide whether to resign or not. I didn't force him out. He made that decision. 
What I did was live up to my responsibility in saying, I think this is wrong and he should not continue. That is a complex message. And when there are 20 people running for president, it is really hard to sit down and sort through that kind of thing. I just feel bad for her because I think she's done a lot to build herself as a great candidate, and it just never came through. We also have some interesting news coming with regards to the Senate races in 2020. So we have Georgia's senior Senator Johnny Isaacson, who is going to retire at the year's end, which means we will have two seats available for the Senate in Georgia in 2020. Well, I don't know if they'll hold his special election sooner. I'm assuming they probably will. I think that this presents a real opportunity for pickup for the Democrats in the United States Senate. And so I'm excited to see who will run for that race, how this changes the other Senate race. I think it's going to be really interesting. I mean, Georgia is close. It doesn't sound like it should be, but it's inching closer and closer to purple. And so I think that this this could be a game changer. Georgia has a lot of work to do also. Mm-hmm. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra concentrated liquidless laundry detergent. It's the best of all worlds. Earth Breeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and your skin. So it's good for sensitive skin. It reduces plastic waste. All of these things are true and amazing, but let's get to the heart of it. Y'all know I have a laundry system. You know it revolves around training children as young as possible to do their own laundry. Earthbreeze sheets feels like they were invented for this. Because littles maybe sometimes struggle with those big, heavy jugs. Or maybe you worry about the pods, but here we go. Here we go, y'all. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets. It's like the perfect solution. A child as young as two can handle these sheets and... Even with toddlers, like you can get them involved. And this is a way to get them helping with laundry even before they could do it themselves. Ugh, gotta love it so much. Right now, our listeners can receive 40% off EarthBreeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. That's earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. We do quite a bit of hosting here at the Silvers household, and I think there is nothing that completes a table for dinner. Like a beautiful loaf of bread and wild grain has made that so simple because they send gorgeous loaves of sourdough bread. Lots of spins on the ingredients, but always just this fantastic, high quality, easy to bake in 25 minutes or less from frozen bread that turns out perfectly every single time. I also have to tell you about the free croissants for life that come with your wild grain orders. And those croissants make the morning, your brunch, maybe your late night snack flaky and like you're sitting in a French cafe and they're just perfect every single time. That's what I love about Wild Grain. It's easy, it's consistent, it's fully customizable. It is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. For a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. You heard me, free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit, or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick and ugh, out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, a.k.a problems. 
Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. Sarah Rigsamico, who's been on the podcast a couple of times, is running against David Perdue for his Senate seat or is running for the Democratic nomination in that Senate race. And Rachel Maddow on Wednesday night actually covered her race for lieutenant governor and how bizarre the voting was in that race. Typically, you see voter participation in each race decline as you go down the ballot. So the most people vote for governor, the next most people vote for lieutenant governor. It gets a little bit less as you go down the ballot, which America makes no sense. You must care about You're your local get races. get your booty all the way there. You might as well fill out the entire ballot. Well, Goodness and gracious. also the people at the lowest offices sometimes have the most impact on your lives. Anyway, in 2018... Fewer people voted for a lieutenant governor than the rest of the ballot. If you look at a graph just showing voter participation and how it drops off for that lieutenant governor race, it makes no sense historically. And so Rachel Maddow reported on this last night about how this hasn't gotten a lot of national attention, but a court in Georgia has said the the way that we are voting deprives people of the of the right to vote and participate meaningfully in the process. And Georgia's election system really needs a complete overhaul. So I think we have no sense of how close to purple Georgia is because the election process still needs a lot of work. We also had a listener reach out and ask us to talk about the Kentucky Senate race, particularly the Democratic primary. So Amy McGrath, who we have had on the show, friend of the show, going to be with us on Nuance Nation, has declared her candidacy for the United States Senate to unseat Mitch McConnell. And there has been ongoing controversy about whether or not Matt Jones, a statewide radio announcer, he has his own radio show. It started with a a show called Kentucky Sports Radio about University of Kentucky basketball and has grown, is going to launch his own candidacy for the Democratic nomination for Senate in Kentucky. He just announced he's putting together an exploratory committee. There's been lots of controversy about Matt losing his job on a couple of state television shows and whether or not Amy McGrath's campaign had anything to do with it, which they absolutely deny. Matt's writing a book about Mitch McConnell. It's it's very drama-filled. And... (laughs) (laughs) so here's a fun fact beth and i went to college with matt jones i've known matt jones since i was 17 years old and he is very smart and he is very driven and i still believe that amy mcgrath is the right candidate for kentucky i think that this drama um will do no favors for the kentucky democratic party also matt has been in this sort of 
long narrative about will he or won't he run every time there's a a race, a House race. Uh, I think there was talk about it last time Mitch McConnell was up for re-election or maybe Rand Paul seat. It's an ongoing thing. I get it. I get the appeal. But I wish we could move on (laughs) desperately. I'm trying to speak very carefully if you can't tell. (laughs) I respect the really media empire that Matt Jones has built. Mm -hmm. And I think they do really good and interesting work. And listen, in the field of like recovering attorneys that we both participate in, he's a star. He's a he really superstar. Took that, Absolutely. He took that he took that law degree and transferred it into the career that he always wanted. And good for him. I think in Kentucky we have a history of taking our celebrated figures who are mm-hmm. sports stars or sports adjacent stars mm-hmm. and putting them in political office. And I would like us to change that. I mm-hmm. think If you consider what a United States senator does, it is just not close for me in thinking that Amy McGrath is the right candidate. And here's what this really pulls out of me. Sarah, you've spoken to this a number of times. We all walk around repeating things like a woman can't be president yet because the country's not ready. Amy McGrath can't meet Mitch McConnell. But maybe Matt Jones could. And we repeat them as that we have no agency in the process. Yep. We have agency in the process. I think that the more Amy McGrath travels the state of Kentucky and she is out there doing it, far Western Kentucky, far Eastern Kentucky, Northern Kentucky. If you follow her on Instagram, she is hustling all over the state and really spending time with voters. And having really spent time with her in person ourselves, I can tell you that she sits across from you. She looks you in the eye. She listens to you. She disagrees with you to your face in a respectful way. I think I have a lot of difference with Amy over the role of the federal government. And I also think that I could roll up my sleeves next to her and we could get some things done because Amy is about doing what is straight and honest and good and what makes progress. She will not let the perfect get in the way of doing better. Mm -hmm. And I think in that way, she is so representative of Kentucky values statewide. And so if I worked for her right now, I would just keep Matt Jones' name out of my mouth, and I would keep doing what I'm doing. I would really follow the Joe Biden model. Like, I'm running against Mitch McConnell, the end. Mm-hmm. And and I would hold on to that. What worries me, too, is just because we have people in California saying, I've given her money. We've traveled recently, and we had so many people tell us, oh, yeah, I like her. I've already given her money. And she is going to need a lot of money to defeat Mitch McConnell. And I don't want to lose those people. You know, we've, we've, we've captured the nation's attention. She's captured that donor information. They're giving her money. Some people are already giving her money monthly. And I don't want to be like, oh, well, we're hold on. We're going to have a primary. Just kidding. Kentucky's got to sort this out first. I want her. I want whoever is going to defeat Mitch McConnell. Or let me rephrase. I think whoever is going to defeat Mitch McConnell needs to have already got lots of money in the bank and already building the infrastructure to keep that money coming in, because that's how he wins. He buries the other person in a pile of money. And so, you know, that's my other thing is like if we're going to beat him. Like, I just don't the money that would be deflected during a primary challenge 
oh, it just makes me sick. It makes me sick because it takes so much money to beat him. There are lots of parallels between this race and what's going on nationally. Because is the goal to have like a robust contest of ideas in the Democratic primary or is the goal to beat Donald Trump? Can you do both of those things at once? And I would argue that you have a better opportunity to do both of those things at once nationally than you do in a state race Mm -hmm. because of the simple way that people pay attention to things. And Donald Trump is more vulnerable than Mitch McConnell. That's right. Mitch McConnell has been in office since we were born. This is a huge lift. And so I really think the best thing for the state of Kentucky, no matter what letter appears after your name on the voting rolls, the best thing is to have a totally unified Democratic Party going into this contest. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Pantsuit Politics. Get your tickets to Nuance Nation, and we will be back in your ears on Tuesday. Keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. Thanks for making us sound better, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our managing director, which means we could not make it without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help us make the show. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Our executive producers are Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, David McWilliams, Joshua Allen, Linda Rucker, Martha Bernatsky, Melanie Cravey, and Tiffany Hassler. Our theme music is composed and performed by Dante Lima. The music under our ads is composed and performed by Dylan Garvin. Learn more about our lives, live events that we're involved in, and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 